Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney. Over there, Steve. Hey. And today we are doing a first time thing. Uh, we are discussing Annihilation, the novel by Jeff Vandermeer, and the film by uh, Alex Garland. Right. It's the first time we've ever discussed a film and the book the film was based upon. Yeah. Now, Annihilation, the novel, uh, was released in uh, 2014, mm-hmm. written by a gentleman named Jeff Vandermeer. Stand-up guy from all accounts. Yeah, the, the the weird thing about the novel, aside from the subject matter, is uh, he wrote it and released it serially all within yeah. the same year um, as, a, as a promotional thing, I believe. And mm-hmm. it, apparently it worked really well uh, because people bought it, right. a, a lot of it. So, I mean, what a great strategy. Yeah, excellent. Um, the film Annihilation, written and directed by Alex Garland of Ex Machina, and the screenplay for Dread. You're really just going to rub that in, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> because I really enjoyed that movie, too. Um, this was February of 2018 was when this movie was released. Yeah, and another weird thing about um, the film is in, in the production of it, or the release of it, was it was released in the United States as a um, theater, in the theaters, like mm-hmm. normal. But the rest of the world got to watch it on Netflix. Uh, it was released for theatrical in the United States and China. There you go. The Chinese Good. market got it. Everywhere else, it was released shortly thereafter on Netflix. Arguably in- the two biggest markets for films. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and again, another bold strategy. Right. And the amount that Netflix paid to have uh, Annihilation released in all these other markets through their service rather than theatrical release has not been disclosed as of yet. We still have Netflix, though, so. Right. Uh, this budget was about $38 million or something like that. For the, for the film. Mm-hmm. So, I, I didn't do the math beforehand. Right. Well, we're not here to talk about success or failure of box office. We're here to talk about the actual content of the art. Yes. But one final note is that there was a little controversy surrounding this film. And it had something to do with the Netflix release. Um, there was little fanfare leading up to this film, occasional trailers sneaking around, but nothing huge. And then there was, uh, I believe it was a Hollywood reporter article released in January that accused Paramount of trying to bury this film right? as part of some, uh, executive level shenanigans. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, this film in the United States was released the week after the cash behemoth that was Black Panther. Well, that's where I saw the trailer for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can't... It, it's You can't call that evidence, though, because Black Panther buried everything. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Black Panther, and deservedly so, was a phenomenal movie and a huge mm-hmm. success. And... 
did they release this right around the same time um, in the wake of Black Panther to bury it? Who knows? I, I, don't, I really don't think any studio was expecting Black Panther to be like number one for five, six weeks to become the 10th highest grossing movie of all time. But generally, you know, that January, February period is where a lot of studios put things that they're trying to do, throwaways that they're try, not trying to make a ton of money off of. Right. Right. So, who knows? Right. Um, so, I guess, suppose the best thing to do is to break it down into two parts. We'll talk about the film first. Um, because you and I have similar opinions on the film. Okay. <laughs> and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the novel second. Okay. Well, I actually saw the film before I read the, the book. So, right. And I watched the film while reading the book. So let's see. The, the most striking thing about the film is that it is completely different from the novel. Yeah, I mean, it takes a few things. They go into Area X. It's an all-female um, expedition. And there's a lighthouse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and the general idea of the move, of the yeah. novel is still yeah. there. Yes, it's, it's, but it's so, it's framed so differently in the film that it's you could have called it um you know Volo's guide to monsters and mm -hmm. and it wouldn't have made any difference i think they're they're very they're, they're two separate things it's kind of like how blade runner and mm -hmm. uh do android's dream of electric sheep are just completely different things so if you read right. one and see the other they have they have a guy named decker in them or uh, uh, The Shining by Stephen King in the right. movie. Right. Now, now, those two films, film book combos that I had mentioned, um, even though they're completely different from the source material, are good. And they're classics of their genres. Mm -hmm. um, this, however, I feel the film fell short. I would I would tend to agree with that. Um, I do imagine that this film will attain the kind of cult status. I think it I think it will, and in in ways it already is heading there uh, because it definitely has comfortably settled into a niche. Mm -hmm. um, and what for for bad or good, and whether people actually enjoy the film or are saying they enjoy the film because they feel they have to. Um, it's definitely in that niche of the, of the new weird fans and authors right. and, and they love it. Um, almost everyone, I, almost all the buzz I've seen on Facebook and Twitter has been positive about this film. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this really is the first film of that new weird circle. Generally. No, you're right. You're, you're completely right. There's not the, the weird, <laughs> The weird in general, and I've always maintained this, it's very hard to translate into a visual medium like film. Even comic books 
it's hard to, to get it right. And it really is a medium suited for the page, for the mm-hmm. pros. And, right. and it's an ambitious project. And um, I don't think that you can translate a lot of what the book had to say into um, something that's good on film. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to be the one to say that I really didn't like this film, but I really didn't like this film. Well, I, I think you're right. I, you know, um, I did not enjoy it either. I found the dialogue to be delivered in a very mechanical way. Yeah, ironically, that you had uh, um, Natalie Portman again delivering mechanical dialogue. I, I think she uh, had more inflection as uh, Amidala in The Phantom Menace. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and, but Jennifer Jason Lee's character, Dr. Ventress, yeah. psychologist, her dialogue is completely flat and even and like like she's heavily medicated. And that might be the case since, shit, we're going to spoil the hell out of this film, since it's implied no, that... Seen it. Oh, sorry. Implied that the um, the character of Ventress had terminal cancer. Yeah. And so I think, it's possible that she was just completely medicated out of her mind. Well, I, the, the basic premise of both these things, just so people know, so we can get like kind of a, a hold on, on where we're coming from. Now stop me this, if you heard this one. Yeah. There's this um, area called Area X uh, that's on the coastline in either Florida or Louisiana, southern U.S. on the coast with with various different um, ecosystems. And uh, there's a government agency called the Southern Reach who is studying Area X because who knows what the fuck is going on in there. Mm-hmm. So in the film, um, you have Natalie Portman's character, um, her husband, Poe Dameron, had gone in... <laughs> had gone into Area X um, as one of the teams, the research teams, and was the only one to come back. So she goes in after him, basically, more or less. Yeah, he he comes back, and after a day or so, he starts uh, coughing up blood. He, He goes into this, like, just traumatic medical emergency almost instantly right and uh they are you know on the way to the hospital apparently it's the southern reach people you know stop the ambulance drag everybody off the ambulance Yeah, they get black bagged and taken to the to the secret southern reach base which Um, in the film is called area x right and the geo anomaly is called the shimmer Right, because it's surrounded by a curtain of shimmering light. Yes. Um, but more or less, she she volunteers to go in to see mm-hmm. what happened to her husband. Um, you come to find out later on that um, she has other motivations for going in. She's driven by guilt. She cheated on him while he was um, while they were married, and uh, she feels that he went into Area X in the first place because of her, because she cheated on him with her colleague mm-hmm. so you, you get a lot of that um everyone who goes in with her they've all got issues right but you know 
Every one of them are damaged goods. Right. But that's like everybody, right? Mm-hmm. The book does a better job of it. All right. Anyway. Um, so they go into Area X and shit starts going wrong. As it's wont to do. Um, and they find out that the further they go in, the more tainted they themselves become. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, that's the, the, the plot of the whole thing. The, the, the group dynamics break down. Um, they turn on each other one by one. They, they all, you know, end up crazy and dead. Right. Now, I think we, we discussed this a couple days ago that the film seems to take cues from the color out of space by Lovecraft gets a lot of nods in discussing the film, but I think it really has a, um, the thing kind of element going on. There's definitely a thing, the, the thing element going on in there. There's also, um, an element of the annihilation or the, uh, the metamorphosis of the world by Clark Ashton Smith. You could definitely see that. Mm-hmm. in there as well um which is also about a an area that has been changed altered right um but yeah so it, you, you get this theme of like this uh eco catastrophe that's going on in in the film and right here is where it kind of just differs i guess is the best way it, you can't really talk about how the one is horrible without talking about how the other one, where the other one stands. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's a good time to start bringing it in. So go for it. Okay. So in the book, you have a very similar setup. Um, mm-hmm. You have a, a, a team of, of women scientists who go into the, the uh, area X mm-hmm. to see what the fuck is going on. Um, they are just as much in the dark as you are. Um, the only perspective you have in the book is the journal. They're all, they're all supposed to keep journals. The only perspective you have is the journal of uh, the biologist, who is Natalie Portman's character in the in the movie. Sort of Matt, Natalie Portman's right, character. Kind of. I mean, Natalie Portman's character is kind of a a mashup of the biologist and the surveyor character from the novel. Yeah. And they replace the surveyor character with, with uh, the EMT. Right. The composition of the team in the film is psychologist, a biologist, a geologist, a physicist, and a medic. There's it's a five man team. It's the, it's the five man band or five woman trope. Five members to your party, right? In the in the book, it's a the biologist, a linguist who doesn't make it, mm-hmm. um, psychiatrist or psychologist, my fault, mm-hmm. a uh, surveyor, a surveyor, and um, an anthropologist. Anthropologist. There you go. So a, a completely different mix of sciences, right? And um, in the film, they're all named. In the book, you don't. They don't have names, and they specifically tell you that no one knows anybody's name. Um, as much of their history are kept occluded from from each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, they're not allowed to refer to each other by name. Right. They're there's, there's just a, there to refer to the, each other by their job titles. Right. Well, there's a there's a, a definite theme in the book of observation changes reality. And um, they want as much objectivity as they can get. So really, they do. They strip you down to your function. And everybody is referred to everything, not only everybody, but everything is referred to by the by the biologists according to their function. Even the the monster, um, she she names it the crawler because that's what she envisions its function as. Right. Well, also it's uh, based on the tracks. Right. Well, because it's crawling. The survey. Its function is to crawl. Um, they they have this. And this didn't even make it, <clears throat> pardon me, into the film. Um, there's this dichotomy between the lighthouse, which goes up, mm -hmm. and the tower, which is actually a hole, a big hole. Mm -hmm. But everyone calls it the tunnel, except for the narrator. Who, who calls it the tower. It as the tower, because to her, it's functioning as a tower. Right. So... so Every observation that is made in this book affects the reality of their situation. It's very, it's clever. Mm -hmm. You don't get that in the film. No. Um, in the film, you have this um, situation and these are, this is what happens. And they put together the clues and come to their the conclusions. And it's very linear like that mm -hmm. in, in terms of revealing the story. Um, whereas in the book, it's not like that. Um, every time they think they discover something, it changes or it's changed for them, um, either, either by an unknown mechanic of the situation itself or because they've just been lied to and they're, they're, what they're observing is wrong because mm -hmm. the, the assumptions they're making are wrong. Right. Now... The film doesn't focus a whole heck of a lot on a lot of things. Yeah. But in, in the novel, we're, we're given that uh, the whole Southern Reach, there's a conspiratorial angle to the Southern Reach. Yeah, I'm sure that, that gets they're more. shady. They're, they're a bit shady. They don't, tell, they don't tell everybody all the truth. They know that in the book, there have been 12. This is the 12th expedition into Area X. Right. Um, every member of the 11th expedition mysteriously returned, including the biologist's husband. Right. Um, who was an EMT. Yes. And he was, uh, he was, he was a Navy trained EMT. Yeah. In uh, the I, film, he's, he's a special forces guy. I don't remember if he's well, just in the film. He's a, he's a fighter pilot for the resistance. Sorry. film. <laughs> the same guy played Poe Dameron. So. Yeah, Commander Dameron. Well, he's always got to jump into something with an X in it. That's right. <laughs> I didn't give anybody a jacket in that film, though. I was kind of disappointed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, um, he, yeah, he's a special forces guy in, in the film. In, in the film, she is uh, army trained as well, and in the book, mm -hmm. she was not. She was just pure academic. Right. The uh, surveyor in the book was an ex-army. 
Right. So weird things that have to do with characterizations and it really the personalities of, of Portman versus the biologist are, are completely different and they're coming from different places. Mm -hmm. um, they're both damaged. And I think Vandermeer in, in, the, in the novel does a really good job of slowly unfolding how damaged she is and how damaged people are. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in the book, they kind of like, they, they, you know, something's wrong with her and then you kind of figure out why. Or the it, film. It, right. And I'm sorry, in the film. Yeah. Um, and and it, it just doesn't have the same impact. It doesn't have the same. It doesn't make me care about the characters in the film. Do you know what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. um, I didn't care about any of them. I at the at the climax of that film, I, or at any point, I didn't care what happened to Natalie Portman. I didn't care what happened during the the cool bear attack, which I'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the book, I did because slowly I got to, even though you don't know anything about, you know, you don't know names and you don't know backgrounds, she slowly tells you that and she, she reveals herself as damaged goods, but it's not like, it's not like a, um, a trauma, like in the mm -hmm. film, in the film, you get a lot of sense of trauma. One of them cuts herself. Uh, the other one's an ex addict, um, you know, one of them had like some issues with her sister, uh, Natalie Portman's character cheated on her husband. And it's all this trauma that is driving them. And in the book, it's just normal. This is just how she is. She's mm. just introverted and distant. And that's a lot of people I know. Right. right. Yeah. And, and and I would argue that that doesn't really make her damaged. And no, that, that kind of ties into what we were discussing earlier about my theory about this film. Well, it just makes her normal. Yeah, but right. I, I think it, it gives her an advantage. It's she's more relatable in the book. Well, I think it gives her an advantage in in Area X. It it very well could be just her her detachment. I think it does as well, but I think we think that for two different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. So really, the film. <sighs> just didn't do it for me yeah it, it it didn't do it for me either and you know it's one of those things that it's it's difficult for me to recommend but i would say you know it's one of those things that you guys that, that people should see at least once yeah you know it just to just to see um if for nothing else just the difficulties of translating this type of story to film yeah most definitely. And in hopes that, you know, a future filmmaker watches it and goes, you know what? I think I can do this better. So in 20 years, they're going to reboot Annihilation. Or something similar right. along those lines. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I do want to briefly talk about the bear because that. Okay. That is. I know you want to talk about the bear. And that fucking bear attack was great. Is <laughs> the one part the first one or the second one? This the 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 final one. Okay. 
So there's there's really two things that stand out to me about this film that I really enjoyed. Uh, the first was the use of the song Helplessly Hoping by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Shout out. Because um, it's a depressing song and they used it properly. I thought that it set a good mood to use that song where they did. Really? I, I That annoyed me. I like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. That, that annoyed me almost, almost as much as the... Uh... Want to be dubstep at the end? Oh, is that during the credits? Because I, I might... uh, during dur during the final sequence. Oh yeah, with the yeah, all the wub wub at yeah. the end. It's just the sound design was not very good. All right, well we'll disagree. Except I'll... for <laughs> except for except for the bear, I will say the bear, okay. the sound design in the bear. Sequence was good. So the, the bear sequence in the film has absolutely nothing to do with anything in the book. Absolutely nothing. But, and this is going to drive people to read The Book of the New Sun by Gene Wolfe, our mm -hmm. old pal. It's on the so, chair behind me. So, it, oh, in, the, in, the, in the movie, a, a bear attacks one of the members of the party and kills her. Um, yes. Later on, a few scenes later, um, the EMT has everyone tied up because she's going nuts. Um, she's, In a scene that is very reminiscent of the thing. Yes. It, it's definitely the, why didn't you tell us you're a liar, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then she hears, they all hear the sound of the, uh, what's it, the... Uh, geologist. The geologist's voice um, asking for help. And she, it's great because she goes, I thought you said she was dead, and just runs out. And then you hear struggling noises. She comes back up, followed by this bear. But the bear's got the face of a human skull, like, melded with the bear. And she's talking. The bear's talking with the geologist's voice. <laughs> so, really cool. Um, and everybody's going mad and freaking out. Great moment. But it reminded me of uh, a scene in Gene Wolfe's Book of the New Sun in the third book, where Severian and, uh, is in a cabin in the woods, and they are beset by a beast called an Alzebo. And uh, the Alzebo eats its victim and then imbues its essence into it and can speak with the voice of that victim. So it can go back the next night and start harassing the family. It's your dad. Let me in. Let me in. Really. Mm -hmm. And and I thought that I hadn't seen something like that anywhere else but in, in this Gene Wolf book. And to use it here, it could only, to me, it could only mean that the um, it was, you know, a, either a direct nod or, you know, a blatant lifting of it. But cool concept. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was probably one of the more tense sequences in the film as well. Right. With, and, you know, don't move, don't react. Right. And and to, you even said it, it was like the one of the few sequences in the film where people showed emotion. Yes. I mean, starting with the um, the medics freak out. Right. Over everything. And, and yeah, actual fear and and uncertainty. Up until this point, everybody just kind of is going through the motions. Um, 
And for a group of scientists, there is surprisingly little science being shown. I mean, you know, we get to see Natalie Portman, like, take a couple of samples. But she never does anything with them. Oh, she does. She, she analyzes oh, she, her own she, blood. She analyzes her own blood, uh, like, far along into the film. Right. Where you, uh, she's looking at some other some other samples, like, early at the old Southern Reach base. But it's, it's definitely that... Um, Probably just to speed stuff along. It's mm-hmm. the same thing as within uh, At the Mountains of Madness, where you had Dyer just was Mr. Super Geologist, who knew everything about everything mm-hmm. and didn't have to have evidence <laughs> to, to, to form conclusions. It's kind of the same thing. I mean, they, right. they, they look at a couple of these weird hybrids that are in the shimmer and jump to this conclusion. Um, yes, the one of the stupidest science fiction conclusions about anything since midichlorians. Uh, you can have the pleasure because I mean this really this ruffled your. Yeah, this this is this is a this is a bug in my craw. Uh, they just give they they lead you on through like three quarters of the movie, and the physicist gives this explanation that the shimmer, meaning the the field of light that's surrounding this area has been refracting radio waves and refracts light, which there's no real evidence of that shown in the film. But it also refracts DNA. It refracts everything. Right. On like a molecular level. Yes, which is just absolutely ridiculous to me. Okay. Now, yes, that that is kind of a, a, a Star Trek explanation. Of, yeah. of of what is going on. Everything's stuck in the transporter buffer. Right. But what what pisses me off about it is that the book goes to great lengths to confuse you as to what is going on. Because there could be a number of different things. And it, it all depends on where the reader is coming from. Very clever because one of the big themes I found in the book was the observer effect. And what is a reader but just another observer? And so, you know, I have my my theory of what it is, which is completely different from yours because we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is that they both have evidence to back it up, and and both are equally valid. And and ultimately, um, in terms of of the book, they both serve the purpose to satisfy the reader. Mm-hmm. As opposed to this half-ass explanation that's in there because it has to be in there because it's a movie and movies need to ha- be explained. Mm-hmm. Now, would you would you please explain for me what your definition of observer effect is? Because when I think of the term, I think of Heisenberg uncertainty, and that really doesn't have much to do with conscious observation. No, I'm thinking that it is that when you when an observer looking at a system uh, changes the the system, just as simple as that. But how does it change the system? In terms of of this book, sure, you can okay. you can keep it narrow and focused. Okay, um, well. 
not have to have it in front of me. I just think that a, a lot of of her interpretation, well, I guess her interpretations of what's going on in the system are completely dependent upon her observations, what she's allowed to see and what she actually sees, mm -hmm. more or less. Um, and that what is actually happening, like uh, absolute in the absolute, I guess, mm -hmm. what is absolutely happening, you're never going to know because um, you you can only interpret what's going on through what she's telling you and what she observes. Well, see, it seems to me that that's a side effect of the fact that that in the novel, Vandermeer sets her up as an unreliable narrator. Uh, she lies to us in the first chapter. Yeah, but I, I think that any narrator of this is going to be an unreliable narrator. Right. And, and unless... Unless it's told like third person omniscient, mm -hmm. but then it, then it wouldn't work as a book, right? However, because look at the movies, kind of told third person omniscient, and right. it doesn't work, right? But in the novel, we see you know there's she's she's a, aware that she's an unreliable narrator. Yes, and, is, and that's that's a that's an interesting difference between. This, between Annihilation and a lot of other similar stories with unreliable narrators is that the biologist is completely aware of her unreliability. Yeah, and she, she says it at one point that that the fact that just her making these observations is is changing what's going on or how she interprets what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and she becomes less reliable as time goes on, but more confident, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. I think like her, her reliability is, even though she lied, it's probably stronger in the beginning than it is at the end. Right. Well, I mean, her lie in the beginning is that she just hasn't given us all the information. Right. And, you know, she, she's withholding stuff. Right. Because that's what she was taught to do, right? In her training by the Southern Reach, right? She's there to report on the biology, mm -hmm. and that's her function, right? So that's what she does. Now, the end of the film, they they tie it up in a nice, neat little bow. Almost like they weren't really ex expecting sequels to be made because they're this is a trilogy right. of novels, but it seems like they made the first film and they tied it up with a neat little bow, more or less, because Natalie Portman's character essentially destroys the area X. Area the X. Yeah. Now, I, now I haven't read the second or third book, so mm -hmm. I, I don't know how where it goes from from here, mm -hmm. and how you can tie those into what happened at the end of the movie. Because right. what happens at the end of the book and what happens at the end of the movie are completely two different things. Right. Um, they and they might, depending on how you you interpret the book, they might have an overall same effect. I guess. Uh, because at the, the end of the the movie, Ariax is destroyed, but her and her husband are out healthy and not themselves. 
Right. Not entirely, anyway. Right. Whatever that. Whatever that means. Right. I mean, they're they're, they're tainted mm-hmm. by by um, or she would say they're they're changed, different, not necessarily for the for the worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the shimmer, whatever you want to call the the doppelganger thing. Right. And Which in. Is- in I'm sorry. Go. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, and I was just going to say, and then in the in the novel, uh, she is changed, but she elects to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't want to leave Area X, and she, I mean, she says it because she's going to, you know, go looking for her husband. She doesn't believe she's going to find, um, and that um, it's pristine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 ecology, the the big effect of the ecology of the place is, it's it's almost Eden like. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's there's no nobody there. There's no humans to fuck shit up. Mm-hmm. So, and that's her passion. Her her real joy in life is that our ecosystems. So isolation. Yeah, I mean, you can be isolated and studying ecosystems until, you know, you're blue in the face. And that's what she elects to do. Right. But I I honestly don't know if those two endings are compatible with the second or third novel. Right. Now... I was ready this morning uh, to to come on tonight and kind of savage the novel a little bit. And then I had a little bit of a breakthrough. All right. Because the, one of the problems that I was having when I was reading the novel, and this, this comes into where my interpretation comes in, that's a little bit different than yours. The reason... That that it all the tension wasn't there, um, the weirdness factor just didn't really kick for me, and I was wondering why. And rolling it over in my head, and I made a note of at the end, and I just like listed off the names of the chapters. There's five chapters or sections in the book, right? And the sections are listed off in kind of a an order. A very specific order. Initiation, integration, immolation, immersion, and dissolution. Which, I give a lot of credit for the rhyme. (laughs) That I like. And I realized that what it is, I think ecological horror is a bit of a red herring. Because on thinking about it later, doing it all this morning, running through ideas, getting my thoughts in order, that the horror of this novel is laid out from the very beginning. Uh, Starting with the fact that nobody is allowed to use each other's names. And it's one of the biggest fears I find of the Western culture. And that is the 
dissolution of self with capital S. And the reason why it didn't horrify me is because that's the same idea that I've been studying for almost 20 years. And in my mind, the novel Annihilation is a... Um, an allegory for enlightenment. Our biologist is having a Kensho experience throughout the entire novel. And becoming, and in, in by the end, she is enlightened to an extent. And I mentioned to you earlier that it shares some similarities with... Um, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, whereas the entrance into Area X is the same as it would be equivalent to death and all of the experiences um, within the within the area being um, uh, synonymous or or an analog to the bardo of uh, of reality in in Tibetan paradigm and then rebirth being the final step of Bardo, which she bypasses to remain in area X. Um, that the area X is in the novel. Perfect. It's just that you come in from the outside and this notion of, permanent separate self begins dissolving and you understand begin understanding more how things are interconnected and that's why i say she has the biologist has an advantage because she studies these ecosystems she lives in solitude but she's aware of how everything is connected back and forth and that the, that's, that's the real horror that she faces. That's the real horror that everyone faces, but she's better capable of dealing with it. She was on her way to begin with. And that's, that's my theory of the book, is that it's an allegory. It's a, it's a, it's a Buddhist allegory. Interesting. I can't argue for or against that. Um... Yeah, my, my interpretation's a little bit. <laughs> um, I'm just looking at it as like a, a distillation of a weird tale of what a mm -hmm. weird tale is, and you have this unknowable entity, alien entity, mm -hmm. um, that also finds life on Earth unknowable. Mm -hmm. um, so. That when it, it does its thing, where it's studying the, the different things it comes across, um, it doesn't know how to put them back together. Right. right. So, I, I can I can see where you're saying that, and but in my mind, the entire the entirety of Area X is the entity. It's it's almost 
um, as Soyan Shaku says in Zen for Americans, it's 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 panentheism incarnate. Yeah. Like this unknowable, this unknowable entity is everything in Area X. I, mean, See, I, you know, I don't our, know if 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 I think it is everything in Area X. I think it has Area X kind of emanates outward from it. Um, that's, that's a possibility, but to be panentheistic, there's there is the aspect that, and panentheism is that God is everything, but is also transcendent. And it seems to me that everything in Area X is an incomprehensible intelligence, and that there is a transcendent aspect of it that you can't see. That's represented with the encounter with a crawler. That's just this pure physical feeling, like her brain is being scooped out of her head. Right. Yes, and and I think that that the crawler um, encounters everything, and and I think her advantage um, of her being an isolationist um, comes comes forth for her she's not destroyed by the crawler um mm -hmm. whereas um the anthropologist who encounters the the crawler is mm -hmm. right well they she encounters the crawler within what the first few days uh, yeah. That there. yeah um she's the yeah it's within and and under like, hypnotic the, suggestion the second night right that they that they're exploring the tower Mm -hmm. And under hypnotic suggestion from the psychologist. Right. The biologist encounters the crawler not only under her free will, but after being, quote unquote, infected by the spores. Yes. And, and I would say that the uh, infection by the spores, how, how the biologist mentions that manifesting as a glow and that as she begins to understand more or accepts more of the nature of area x that glow gets brighter she literally is literally becoming enlightened as she progresses through the novel the yeah. confrontation with the psychologist at the thing at the lighthouse and she's there and she said, I could see you the whole time. You're like a like a flame. It's like you're on fire. And that she's literally glowing. And that she's has this awareness. Um, and there's also the 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 fact of the tower. And you know, like you said, you have two towers. You have one, the lighthouse that goes up, and then you have the other tower that goes down. But what I gather from her description and her reading of the husband's journal is that, you know, if we were to look at it in the, as the stages of Bardo, that the door at the bottom of the tunnel is rebirth, the way to return to the outside what they call the outside well i don't disagree with you that it was definitely the a manifestation of the border mm -hmm. 
But I think that the fact that she considers it a tower, though, is that the normal mundane human world is all this outside. And that you come in and you ascend to Area X. And Area X being the high point. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a possibility. Um, it, it's definitely the border because all right. the, the doppelgangers of the 11th expedition went down into the tower. Mm-hmm. And, and then reappeared, reappeared in, in, the, in world. the normal world. Now, only one person can tell us who's got it closest to being correct. And uh, we have it on good authority that he might listen. <laughs> I, I, I doubt this. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's my interpretation is that that the ecological horror aspect is kind of a red herring, and that it is a metaphysical kind of horror, which is impossible to really depict accurately. I don't you, think depict much of anything that happened in that novel accurately Mm -hmm. it's all it's all interior dialogue it's her journal Mm -hmm. it's it describes her thoughts mostly like her thoughts there's very few scenes of interaction Mm -hmm. um they're few and far between and they're not um they're not exciting like they're they're dialogue right there's not there's not there's no there's not a there, lot of violence. There's not a lot of violence. There's not a lot of action or adventure or anything like that, which is one of the things that interested me about the trailers is for the film is that they tried to present it as this like tense, almost aliens kind of film. Yeah. And when, and, when it's much, much more reserved. Right. It was definitely, I will give the, the, the film was very good at building tension. But it wasn't that kind of of tension that you have. There was no release. Like in, in films where you have that kind of tension building, um, interpersonal tension, you have release, mm-hmm. release points along the, the – especially in horror films um, where, where, you know, you have little, little pockets of release of, of the killer or whatever showing up mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, a f- frenetic – frantic um action to kind of just like you know break it up a little bit and you didn't really get the bear scene but that was about it right right and really it was just like it just kept on winding and winding and winding and well you got winding. the alligator scene at the beginning yeah but that was before a lot of the tension started mm-hmm. building because really it was after the alligator scene once they hit the uh the old area x headquarters the mm-hmm. southern reach headquarters um is when it really started just winding up right um poe dameron should not be a medic <laughs> because that is not how you perform abdominal surgery he just cuts a flap yeah like a door he's like I mean, it's almost like, okay, you're going to stick the knife in now and go and turn and pull it open. And really, as far as it goes, that was the only scene that unsettled me because I just really don't like um, 
that type of slow cutting. Right. No, and, no, I, I, I hear you there. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with the bear ripping off, you know, half of, um, what is her name? Gina Rodriguez's face. Yeah, that's cool. You know, that, that's kind of like, you know, standard gore type of thing. Yeah. But yeah, that, that whole grainy film footage of them holding him down in a pool and just like slowly opening a door in his abdomen to show you that, you know, there's that his guts and everything are like little snakes squiggling around, writhing around. Because, yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the other things that strikes me as a difference between the film and and the novel is that the landscape in the novel seems mostly normal. You know, like a pine, just a, your average pine forest. Yeah, the, the, the things that were uncanny in the novel were, I don't even want to call them hybrids because they weren't, but you had animals that ha had human-like qualities. Mm -hmm. Like you had the dolphin that... Um, more than likely was um, somehow combined with the with the essence of her husband, right? And and you had like this um th this thing that honked or moaned in the, mm -hmm. in the tall grass um, that acted with uh, intelligence mm -hmm. in, its, in its hunting habits more than you would expect out of out of a reptile. Um, and and you had the boar in the beginning that was chasing them down, and then for some reason acted like a puppet and stopped mm -hmm. and but that's it there right were, you had like some some i guess crazy stuff going on with the lighthouse and it was fortified against attack right there was some type of there was some type of battle that was rate rate waged um but and, see i i i i, I interpreted the the those types of encounters, particularly the dolphin, a little bit differently. That 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 by that time is when she's starting to glow a little bit more, and she's aware of it, and she's becoming more of aware of. The dolphin the, happened right in like the beginning. No, she was at the village. So about halfway through. Okay, right. She's going to track down the psychologist. So roughly, roughly halfway through the the timetable that all of these things takes place is a little iffy because she so easily slides into flashbacks while she's telling another part of the narrative. Right, that's true as well. The, and the and and by the time when she's done with flashbacks, we can tell some time has passed in between the events she was describing before and and then. And it's almost like the flashbacks serve a function of her trying to retain her identity as Possibly. she's doing I, through this. I think they just kind of give you more of a of a clue as to who she is and who, or what kind of person she is and, and how that fits into where she's at in Area X. Because mm -hmm. the person she presents herself at the beginning is not the same as the person that you end up finding that out who she is at the end. Right. Right. And yeah. that fits in, that fits in with my theory as well. I mean, she, she just, she reveals herself more and more 
um, who she is and how unreliable of a narrator she is as, you know, as her past gets more and more revealed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I don't think the flashbacks in the film accomplish the same effect. No, I mean, the flashbacks kind of in the film accomplish the effect of making you seem like more and more of a shitty person as they go on. Right. A- as opposed to this, where she just becomes more and more of a... Of her, her personality fills out in in the in the novel because she doesn't have a name. She's a function, basically. She's the biologist, and and you get more of a breadth of who she is as the flashbacks go on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I still think that ecological horror is not the correct term for this. Yeah, I didn't. Really it seems it. to me. It seems to me that the if it was ecological horror, that the environment itself, and and maybe the, the what it's doing inside of her mind and changing their body is is kind of the environment, um, you know, affecting things. But I don't know. I it just didn't. It doesn't work as well for me thinking of it as the environment rather than thinking of it in a metaphysical sense. I, I get what you're saying. I just don't get, I don't buy the metaphysical part. I, I think, yeah, she's definitely herself. Her sense of self is definitely being consumed um, by this alien entity. Um, but I don't know if that necessarily is a, you know, a, a, a spiritual experience as opposed to a psychological experience. Hmm. Well, in certain religious beliefs, they're not all that different. Okay, but if people <laughs> don't have religious beliefs. Right. Well, with for people who don't have religious beliefs, it's it's hard to think of it that way. Because the in the West, we are conditioned with this duality. Um, and and you see a little bit of that, the struggle with that in there is you know, self and other you know, the material or the psychological and the metaphysical. In in Buddhism particularly, it's all the same thing. It's all one total experience. And, and that might be why I'm able to more easily interpret it this way. But that's just the way it seems to me. I, I hear you. I mean, like I said earlier, you're gonna. It's, it's the type of thing that you're going to bring your own interpretation to, according to your own experience. And I don't think there's any right interpretation and any wrong interpretation. I mean, Vandermeer might have had one thing in mind, but once you put it out there, you know, it, it's open to to who, whoever. Right. And wants to interpret it however they want to. Obviously, um, the in, in the film they interpreted it one way and it it, right. it, it doesn't jibe. Right. Yeah, but, I, I, but, I I think I think that's what happened is Garland probably read the book and then that's the way he interpreted it and he brought it to film the way he interpreted it. Right. And 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 you know, there's people who really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. People who, who, you know, it, where they say that it hit all the right buttons for them and, and you know, good on them. I mean, mm-hmm. 
it's a film and people should be able to enjoy what they want to enjoy. I personally didn't. Um, and maybe it's, maybe it's just because my interpretation of the book was so just not mm -hmm. what was presented in that film. Right. Um, now let's, let's talk about, let's talk about that a little bit, you know, people enjoying what they want to enjoy. Um, truthfully, I read the book. I really don't have any interest in in picking up in, in going through the other two books in the series. I was pretty pretty satisfied with the way this one turned out. Yeah, it it it's um yeah, I I I don't want to know more. I don't want Area X explained to me outside of my own interpretations of it. Well, um there, there's two ways that the rest of this can go. Mhm. Mm uh, it could go the same way that the that the book went, where all your answers end up just giving you tons more questions, mm -hmm. which would be cool. I would I'd like that. I'd read that. Or it could be everything's wrapped up in a nice neat bow, and don't send the uh, the next expedition to Antarctica. Right. Which so, I, I don't necessarily think I'd want to read. <laughs> Well, hell, I didn't want to read the first Antarctica expedition. <laughs> I found Shackleton's note journal be more interesting than at the Mountains of Madness. Um, but yeah, if you get a chance, check it out because it's one of those films that you know I think everybody needs to see at least once. You know, uh, even if you don't like it, stick along to the end. And and. You know, at least it gives you a little something to think about. Right. And for everyone who's listening to this, who um, enjoyed the film and, and thinks we're idiots, let us know. And I shall prove to you that I am not. <laughs> um, the, the book, you know, I would recommend it. You know, it's it's one of those that everybody can get something out of it. Yeah, it's a it's a good weird tale. It mm -hmm. it, it really it, it hits all the marks for what you yep. it's, what it's, want out of a weird tale. It's kind of the uh, it's kind of like the way we mentioned I mentioned about at the mountains of madness that it is you know the the pinnacle of the form. Um. I do like this one a little bit better than at the mountains of madness, even though it's a lot of the same buttons. <laughs> it does. It, it really does have a lot of the same, you know, it, it's kind of fun. Jeff. Jeff is definitely not the patron saint of adjectives and you know, yeah. and that's fine. I like that. No, it's, it's funny. Cause there was this Facebook thread um, where people were, were uh, running just hand over fist to disassociate this book from HP Lovecraft so hard and a, a friend of mine uh, just wrote, oh, yeah, sarcastically. <laughs> that, yeah, the, it's totally has nothing to do with H.P. Lovecraft and alien intelligence <laughs> affecting the, the, you know, the shape of the environment has absolutely nothing to do with anything Lovecraft has ever written. Right. And so it, it just it's kind of funny because. Um, People, people like this book and people want to like this book and people, mm -hmm. I guess people really don't want things that they enjoy to be like put with the same painted with the same brush 
as Lovecraft. And like, you know, the guy was an asshole, but you know, you gotta give him credit where credit is due. There's a lot of assholes out there who who are like the foundations of shit people like. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Oh. It's Elvis. Also, Look at Elvis. Elvis yeah. was a douchebag, but you know, no Elvis, no Beatles, no Beatles, no who. I don't. You got to give him credit somewhere in there. You don't have to like it. You just have to give him credit. Right. You got to give him credit, even though Elvis was the king of cultural appropriation. Yeah. Well, so was H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, yeah. So I mean, nothing happens in a in a vacuum. Right. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Now, it's funny you would say it that way. Um, I was talking with another friend of mine about uh, Robert Chambers. Right. And we were talking about the King in Yellow and and how it doesn't always feel like it's standing the test of time. And, you know, you have, you know, we keep, we've said repeatedly, you know, a comparison between Annihilation and At the Mountains of Madness. But if you really look at at it in a way where Lovecraft was kind of the prototype for it. And at the mountains of madness was the prototype for the pinnacle of the weird tale and subsequent in, in his, his legacy was to encourage other people to play in that same sphere of ideas. Right. And it's come down through the years to Jeff Vandermeer who has created the, Annihilation as part of the Southern Reach trilogy, and it has become kind of a 2.0 model. Not not a sequel, not uh, not a spiritual successor, but it's really at the Mountains of Madness version 2.0. It's improved, it's better. Yeah, it's smarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Right. There's, there's, as, as there's as nothing that, wrong with um, a lot right with that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with, uh, you know, talking about Windows 3.1 versus Windows 10. You know, it's everything's got to start somewhere. Right. It's like Edition Wars with Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. It's like, sure, fifth edition, you're going to like it or you're going to hate it, but it is an evolution of what came before. Yes. And, that is the the new weird as it is. It is an evolution. And evolution is what it says on the 10. Things improve. They progress. They get they get better, smarter, faster. You know, fewer adjectives. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny that you, you talked about Chambers. Mm-hmm. Possibly uh, be outdated until you look at the 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 subtle fascism in the uh, repair of reputations. Right, repair of reputations <laughs> is probably like one of the one of the stories that has withstood the test of times because yeah, it it echoes. And uh, you know the, the subtle fa- uh, fascism of that story and like the actual fascism that. Yeah. Maybe experiencing right now. Yes. The king in the king in orange. Yeah, Jesus fucking Christ. All right. Well, with that. That's right. Uh, go 
check out the movie. You got to see it at least once. Destined to be a cult classic. It'll be on uh, Netflix, so you'll be able to see it. And the novel, a masterclass of the weird. And if you are out of the U.S., it's already on Netflix. And mm -hmm. yeah, I'm speaking to um, listener okay. from Japan. <laughs> listener from Japan and some April Fool's joke I don't remember making. Uh, hello, Japan. <laughs> Anyway, we are very sorry about Nippon no Kage. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, no. All right. I just feel we have to apologize for something every once in a while. Okay. Well, that's that's okay. Apologize. And, and yeah, so pick up the book, read it, uh, learn from it, uh, discuss it with your friends because there's a lot of stuff. I mean, shoot, we've been going for about... We've been going for a long time. Yeah. Uh, on it, and you will too. Yeah. And I will close the segment before our usual catchphrase with a big fuck you to S.T. Joshi. Yeah. Who absolutely ruined every opportunity I could have to make a joke about either the film or the book. <laughs> With his quote-unquote satirical lambasting of yeah, the book, well, but yeah, still, yeah, there's no accounting for taste I mean, or you know relevancy or whatever he has going on over there. Yeah, and as always, join us next time. It'll be Wednesday. All new episodes are released on Wednesday. Mnh.podbean.com. You can find us on Spotify. Find us on iTunes. Everywhere fine podcasts are distributed. And not fine ones. That's right. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, feel free to find us on Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com slash Microphones of Madness. Uh, or email us, Microphones of Madness at gmail.com. And until next week, keep 30 luck points. Mm -hmm.